Oh yeah, here we go. Episode 117 of High Drop with Cordelia Hollingsworth, the legend. Um, we had so much fun on this episode. In fact, we had even more fun that whole day, but we were just in a nonstop conversation, <laughs> catching up. We hadn't seen each other in years. And as you may or may not know, Corey is the executive director and senior coach at Parkour Visions in Seattle. Parkour Visions is the nonprofit organization who's done, who's been one of the longest standing organizations in parkour in the United States. And they do some incredible work. Um, Corey really, you know, has been doing a lot of incredible work leading that team. And that includes building parks, parkour parks, specific parkour parks throughout the Pacific Northwest in the United States and Canada. They do outreach programs for minorities and uh, underprivileged or underfunded, you know, communities. And they are a longtime practitioner and coach. I mean, Corey came through here you know, through Colorado for a couple of years and that's how we became friends. And then, you know, basically in this episode, we, we are catching up. It was kind of like a bit of a mess, but we covered two main topics. You know, we, we ran around in circles cause we just had so much to say having not seen each other for so long. And then, um, the two main things were the outdoor programs that they're putting out at parkour visions and sort of the societal and political implications that are underlying that mission and topical related points. And then as well, we talked about trans athletes in competition in parkour and other more broadly, and kind of the solutions, the issues, the things that already exist and what might be available to create a more inclusive community. So sorry, as well on this episode, I could have sworn that I pressed the God damn record button, but I totally missed it. And I really have never missed it. And so I apologize to Corey. I apologize to you guys. Um, I'm just going to put up like a freeze frame or I don't know what I'll put up for the video. But ultimately, I'm really bummed out because I hate to miss that. But anyhow, this is just basically going to be an audio picture podcast. Um, I missed the recording on my phone for whatever reason. All right. Much love to you guys. Thank you for listening and enjoy. Welcome to the program. <laughs> Welcome back to the program, I should say. Welcome back, yeah. You've been on it before. I don't think I have. Really? Yeah, I don't think I ever was. Not even like on one of the... No, maybe I was. On like OG episodes. I think you're on one of the first ah, OG, yeah. like before we actually launched it again. As I'm going to do some hunting. Part of me is like has a memory and the part of me is like, did I make up that memory? You know, like... Oh man, I kind of want to figure it out right now. <laughs> pause everything we need to figure this out <laughs> yeah maybe there was oh i think christopher was on it and i might have been like in you the room there. i was around yeah yeah, yeah okay so. okay so i i don't know but I you weren't like, listed in the title like you're going to be this yeah time. i think that was more christopher's thing and i just happened to be there okay that well sort of. then but yeah, officially technically <laughs> technically this is the official welcome to the program <laughs> hey as, a, as the as the guest yeah. So thank you for joining us and take coming all the way from Seattle. We're mm -hmm. really lucky to have you. It's, uh, I mean, been five years for us. We've been trying to stop ourselves from catching up nonstop, but, um, yeah, we go way back, <laughs> way back, way back to the old apex, the apex, old apex days. days. Yeah. I mean, you've just had an incredible journey. 
I don't know where we want to start. I guess like a good place to start is the kind of genesis for this episode, other than us being friends and wanting to hang out and talk with each other Mm -hmm. and obviously sharing the interests of parkour was this post that I made way back. It's maybe not so relevant anymore, but it'd be an interesting place of jumping off, I think. So I made this post when I was in England. I'd like damaged this building (laughs) unintentionally. Um, (laughs) And you were the only person that, you know, wanted to mention, you know, what we all probably know, which is like, what, what's going to happen with that building? You know, like yeah. it's kind of like, uh, you know, I made the joke cause I didn't want some of those comments probably coming in. Cause I don't know. I don't know what to do. That was like one of the worst scenarios I've ever experienced of like doing real property damage. And, um, so then we had a little short, uh, comment section talking about, well, we should talk about this on air. Yeah. Um, so Thanks for being great about that, by the way. Because I was like, I was like, I don't know if it's like not okay to, you know, it's like I don't want to know, I don't want to like cause some beef by calling out my friend a bit. But I'm like, that's a lot of property damage, like, <laughs> and like I, as I, as I run a nonprofit that is all about sharing parkour with people who otherwise probably wouldn't find parkour. I'm very sensitive to, uh, just like the way that the public perceives parkour, mm. you know, and looking at that one and and just like again look it doesn't not that like i don't know the general population of people are going to go on instagram specifically to like a hyper specific you know uh deep in the sport person's instagram but i just i just think about those like optics moments and and because it was it was like a pipe right that like definitely took out some cement with it and they'd probably have to like replace the whole well, uh, section of the wall at least i would guess. i mean certainly that could happen yeah. in that case i think what those Poles were were flag banners so they can like hang mm. flags. Uh, um, it was the University of Sussex, if I'm not, or I don't know Essex. It's the one near Brighton that yeah. you've seen the store gang if you watch story videos. Um, at, and I was meeting up with Joe Hendo there, and we found that and we did it. And luckily for me, it didn't break when I was like trying to do a flip off of it or whatever. Totally. But what happened was yeah, after I'm glad a few you're safe. Also, just to, after yeah. a few repetitions. <laughs> that bar like it felt pretty sturdy we hung on it obviously before and did as many checks as we thought were necessary but then after repeating it apparently we just knocked it loose and the the bolts there was like four bolts pulled or bent off and broke off so i don't think the concrete was damaged per se but either way they that pole (laughs) is like needing to be replaced and they might like you said actually have to either re insert new concrete screws if they were going to put it back the same way they they had it totally yeah i think it's uh the the broader thing that i'm really interested in is like this tension between saying parkour is for everyone and then like the ways that we i think as a parkour community from the extreme sport side of things may be damaging the relationship to parkour you know like i know in the uk there's like now signs of like no parkour here you Mm. know um and my future of parkour is just like parkour is so normal that everybody does parkour. Like in the same way that like running has this like, uh, and I said this in the cars we were driving up, but like, you know, uh, running is like the boring sport that everyone does. Like, oh, I should probably be fit. I should mm-hmm. probably go outside. I think parkour, norm, like the everyday's parkour could be that. Like, oh, I should probably go to the park and jump on some stuff, I guess. <laughs> but like in order to achieve that future, you know, we have to actually deal with, especially in America, the deep obsession with liability 
and and this is some of the stuff that like park revisions is doing right now in seattle is actually like like parks and rec um their permitting for classes to run a class in the in the, in the park only allows you to permit the grass field which is like kind of a problem for parkour like mm. literally like <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know not allowed to play on the playground you're not allowed to play on the handicap rail he's not and, and again it's concerns for like sharing space because traditionally it's uh very about like i'm gonna block off this space and this is mine this is where i teach my soccer this is where i teach my you know whatever activity versus parkour has a lot more of like sharing uh sharing the space you know there's like pedestrians walking around us you know like we're on a handicap rail ideally we're like giving right away to the people who actually like are meant to be using it like disabled <laughs> people people with strollers etc people carrying heavy bikes sometimes use handicap rail mm. um paths and things and like but we have to do a lot for our optics um to make sure that we can continue to get permission for those spaces because if it looks like even if it's i don't know a karen yells at 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 us or something and then complains to parks and rec that's a problem right that's a problem for uh maybe getting kicked out of the space or losing a permit or things so like we've been doing a lot of advocacy work uh one being around um we just submitted like a 30 page risk management document that took months to write and like all these pictures of parkour of just like very normal like here's what a step vault looks like here's what <laughs> you know i'm sure they were expecting something way worse and we're like no no it's literally just like here's some qm on the ground under a rail <laughs> yeah. you know um so that's some of the work that we're doing. We've also been like working with uh, Parks and Rec to get a parkour park in Seattle. But there's just, yeah, like I said, like there's just so much underlying uh, need to be very aware. Like I would love to, once we, we kind of tackle the parkour park and tackle um, Parks and Rec, uh, property is like an officially approved location for parkour, which it should be. It's a place, it's parks are for play. Why can't we do mm. parkour on mm. parks, right? Um, and no, and I will clarify, no one in Seattle is saying you can't do it. There's just a, there's just a lack of clarity and we're trying to drive that into like a more explicit permission as opposed to like implicit permission. Mm. Um, but after that is done, I would love to tackle reaching out to college campuses and being, cause as we have, everyone's been kicked out of a college campus <laughs> and why you know most of the time uh, there's very little property you know it's not like we're dealing a bunch of property damage hopefully on college campuses mm. you know it, it has a concern for liability so i think there's a lot to tackle there but i think it's I'm, I'm hopeful that there's a way to do it right so that there can be partnerships between parkour organizations helping to teach people parkour safely to just make fitness more accessible to people um so yeah that that's the stuff i'm interested in is like how do we do that <laughs> right yeah I mean, yo, that's, I mean, that's amazing. Where do we begin? I mean, yeah. yeah. Like, so you put together this risk management document. What other kinds of things and ways are you initiating this path towards Yeah. what it sounds like is a dream where, excuse me, <coughs> there might be some of that this episode. Sorry, folks. Um, where people are allowed to practice in public spaces and it's explicit it's and arguably private rights. spaces too yeah <coughs> oh and private too what? yeah because i mean a college campus is a uh, as as you're grabbing water uh a college campus you know is not a public space um it is a i actually don't know legally exactly where it is but it's i'm pretty sure it's technically private property um given that they have security going around i also think about like 
there's so many courtyards on private property that like is just not being used and uh, we've all played there we've all trained on a variety of different places like mm. what if you could just go outside to any nearby handicap rail and play on stuff you know the the forbidden <laughs> bank handicap rail is no longer the forbidden bank handicap <laughs> rail <laughs> well yeah this yeah. it's really in, this is a very yeah i mean this is very interesting because mm. yeah it hits the right at the core or the core that you know with that post was about which was or you know what we were talking about was private property especially i mean public property it's almost a no-brainer but the fact that you're even aiming towards yeah. private property is pretty um and honestly even in america especially like public property <coughs> is really uh, there's no surprise that there's a lot of ownership concerns on i don't know to say it for lack of a better worse like a country that was formed on like stealing land you know like there's a lot of possessiveness <laughs> around uh land usage even on public property mm -hmm. like the way that parks and rec I, parks and rec does a lot of really great stuff so i don't want to like throw them under the bus but like in america there's just a lot of liability laws even on public property that we have to tackle as well mm. to make that a reality yeah there's yeah. a whole conversation there i mean a lot of people think property the whole concept of it is flawed yeah and yeah we can maybe get into that later, but yeah, I'm not going to go down a big <coughs> land back pipeline, but, uh, <laughs> but I'm not an expert on that, but I'm not either, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, but so how do you see that happening? Like, because to steel man or whatever, the other, the point of view of the property owner, it's really about the liability. That's what it keeps for coming sure. down to right? So the liability, they don't want to get sued by us for our, you know, let's say we roll our ankle or break our leg or, even worse, you know, somebody could die or something on their property and now somebody's out to start some kind of lawsuit and say that because that building was there, I don't, I don't know how they're going to, I yeah. don't know where the logic follows that it, someone doing parkour totally. like, and that kills themselves or injures themselves, yeah. hopefully nothing that serious, but it's a really it doesn't big follow, issue. but it yeah. is like, that's the excuse. So what, what do we do about that? I mean, I think it's, it's very country specific, you know, like looking at, uh, I mean, shoot, looking at like trespassing laws is, is one part of the conversation. And I, I will say these are like big conversations. They're not going to be tackled like within three years in Seattle. This mm. is like, I don't know, aspirational. What do we, where does the sport go in like, I don't know, a hundred years or something or, or, or what, or whatnot. Cause uh, what I think of is like in uh, America, trespassing is a really, really big issue. Um, and I know people who have done been on roofs and have been arrested for trespassing and things versus like if you go to the UK, it's literally not illegal unless someone has told you to leave. Like there's uh, I can't remember the exact name of the law, but it's um, it came from the history of like as the country was building, people would just walk across each other's properties to like get to locations mm. versus, again, America's history is very possessive about land and what is our land and what is not. So it's so like already from step one, it's talking about the relationship to property uh, owner um, who owns the property. But it's not like you're not going to go to jail in the UK if you trespass you'll get like maybe a fine and i think i think store had to explore this when they went to like china for instance as well mm. like what are the actual laws what are the actual risk can i get deported for things so there's like just want to like foundationally <laughs> that's a huge conversation <laughs> um and then uh but more tangibly you know i think it does come down to shoot being involved in local politics to some degree around like what is your city council um how does your city council interact with 
uh, Parks and Rec in a lot of ways. Um, like one of, so we're getting a parkour park in Seattle and uh, well, fingers crossed because parkour parks are, uh, <laughs> there are many steps to getting a parkour park and each one has a possible pitfall where things will not have it happen. Um, but parkour visions, <laughs> even before I was in leadership was trying to get a parkour park, um, you know, in Seattle. And for the most part it was like, like no kids you guys can't you know like we mm. don't know what parkour is what is this right like it's not something that that the city of seattle cared about um so kind of step one for getting a parkour park is getting to be visible in parks and rec and like city council and uh you know basically arguing for it's more than like i don't know a couple hoodlum kids that want the space it's more like mm. you know there's a community behind it and it's going to benefit the greater um the greater good to have this as a, a city because um, it's like you know sometimes half a million dollars to, to get a parkour park um, so we got attached to a uh, park renovation project that um, was uh, they we met with some of the organizers of that project and they were really excited about specifically the concept of intergenerational play because if you know playgrounds are for 12 and under and for and there are some places in the United States where there are laws where if you don't have a kid with you, it's literally illegal for you to be um, on a playground uh, if you don't have a kid 12 and under with you, which is like bonkers because where do the adults and teenagers play, <laughs> yeah. you know? Um, but it's like a... Got to steal some kids. And get yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, go steal some... No, don't steal the kids. Um, but the, they're, you know, and these are laws that are intentioned to be anti-gang laws and anti-homeless laws, which yeah. is a whole problem within itself of just the way that that law is existing. Mm. Um, but like New York City is actually one of the cities that... Oh, like interesting. Yeah. I didn't know that that... I would have thought like pedophile or something. That would that was like... Where probably part of it too. Probably but, part yeah. of it too, but that's like the primary reason it sounds like from what from i what understand again like this is something i'm like on the tip of the iceberg of discovering because i'm <laughs> discovering politics through parkour which mm. is a really weird place to be as opposed to like <laughs> any other way you could get into politics um but like very hyper local politics um but yeah so new york city is also very interesting because they have a uh a initiative where they want everyone to be able to have a park within something like a five or 10 minute walk of where they live. So there's some stuff like that that's actually really, really cool. Hmm. Um, and there's issues nationwide about uh, the concept of like a play desert. If you've ever heard of like the term food desert, right? About like these places where there's either no food hmm. um, or lack of grocery stores, that, you know, like actual food as opposed to just like a quickie Mass bar or something. food and liquor stores totally. and like whatever, like nothing yeah. of nutritional value really. Yeah, so there's, there's <laughs> that. But then it's also been sort of co-opted co to talk about play deserts, which is especially in low-income, uh, marginalized, BIPOC communities, oftentimes there's not like a playground because the city mm -hmm. hasn't invested in that community. Um, so what we got really attached, we got attached to this uh, I'm gonna go all all over the place with my conversations, but we're gonna uh, have to. Unfortunately, I was like, a lot man, to cover. there's yeah. so many things, and I'm like, oh my god, I wish <laughs> I was. I wish yeah. we would have written something down. Maybe we could organize it. I don't think it would have helped too much because no, there's yeah, just so I'll much to talk about. Just go over it. But, I love to yeah. go around in wiggles. Let me and draw squiggles. a chart out on yeah. all the yeah all the different intersections of uh, accessibility to play. Um, 
but so this park that we uh, are attached to is in a, a mixed income neighborhood, this park renovation project where it was promised by the city to uh, to renovate and then they never did. And so this is it's a level of account of holding the city accountable, um, especially after like BLM protests. It, the city has been paying more attention to it, uh, thankfully. Um, and that's not our part of it. But when we met with the organizers, you know, we, we met, um, we agreed on a lot of values and they were very interested in intergenerational play and that whole concept. Um, so I think that's the power of parkour. And one of the many benefits of parkour is like, we're like in our 30s, but we'll train with like a 16 year old or like uh, my communications director, uh, you know, they're in, they're in their 40s and, and she has her like seven year old kid and they literally go out and train together. And like if we want to talk about issues of health and issues of like our sedentary lifestyle, you know, like one of my favorite statistics is uh, uh, the average 19 year old is as sedentary as a 60 year old in America which is terrifying to think about. So <laughs> so like there's that. There's also just like one of the major causes of death for seniors is falling and breaking their hip. Hmm. Like literally not even be able to get off the floor is a huge issue. So like, I mean, like PK Move out in, in Virginia is doing some really great work with teaching seniors how to fall through parkour. And like, um, and also just more importantly, proving that parkour can teach people how to get off the floor and build strength to get off the floor mm. um, in addition to like avoiding the fall entirely. Um, so like, yeah, there's just, there's a lot there. Um, but in terms of getting this park going, we had initial conversations with the organizers. Um, and then there were different points when they brought us out to community events and we just brought like a little scaffolding, like pop-up kit that we just like set up. And uh, we had, because we ha we run an organization and are deeply connected to the Seattle parkour community, we're able to bring out like, I don't know, 50, 75 people of all ages. And then seeing some parks and rec officials were there and they're like, wow, this is really cool. Like one, nobody's getting injured. Look at like, I've never seen something like parkour before in mm -hmm. person. So I think that's a really, really important thing is like, we need to be more visible, like, in addition to that, you know, like Park Revisions does all of our adult classes outside and uh, you start to notice like week after week, instead of it being this thing where like pedestrians and onlookers are like, hey, what are you doing? You know, get down from there. Turns into instead this sort of like, oh, that's just the parkour people. They're there every Wednesday mm -hmm. and it helps normalize parkour for people. And I think that's the underlying like while there's always going to be a limitation to how many laws we can like change and like you know, liability in America is a huge, huge thing that I don't think we're, it's going to take a long time to even tip, you know, chip the tip of the iceberg on that one. I think we can do a lot socially to help normalize parkour in the, the view of the public. Um, this is why like old school, like leave no trace jams that are just park cleanups are extremely powerful, especially if you have, I don't know, like your local uh, news network report on it as well, mm -hmm. or you do that intentionally in partnership with parks and rec so that they know that you exist when you do it mm. um that's some of the stuff that we're doing in seattle amazing yeah, <laughs> yeah i mean you do so much great work like i, I wish i even well i want to open it up and kind of for anyone that doesn't know i mean i'm going to introduce you in the beginning of the episode i always do a little mm. introduction and things but <clears throat> can you tell your story a little bit and how you yeah. became like the director of parkour visions and totally. maybe even within that parkour visions is 
it has one of these um, accolades of being like the first parkour program in the Western or in the Americas or something like that, or the first location or something like that. Yeah, it was um, it was one of the first. It was one of the first, and not that yeah. it like it's like <laughs> yeah a huge deal of which one was first, but it's been around for as long as any organization has been around in the United States. Absolutely, and so it's it's definitely a, a really cool thing to see it still around, and then um, I would just want to hear kind of like where you're that, at and then yeah. share with everyone like because obviously you came through Colorado and that's how we mm-hmm. became friends and things but yeah um so yeah so Parkour Visions was one of the earliest parkour organizations um it was it was the first nonprofit for parkour the 501c3 um so it started by a group of volunteers who was the board of directors um some of the most well names for that from that era um that were some of the founders were like Rafe Kelly, Tyson Cheka, Brandy Laird, Janine Cundy, um, and some other folks involved as well. Um, and they really wanted to get parkour, I, I think normalized is a good word for it, and did it, and back in the early days did a lot of like stuff like parks cleanups. Um, I remember going to like women's jams like very early on to my first years of parkour. Um, you know, back a lot of more of like, let's yeah, let's just work with Parks and Rec, um, they did also end up opening up a gym. Uh, I don't remember the exact year that the, the first gym was, um, but it was like this tiny, tiny gym space. And so it had a gym for about nine years. And then uh, right before the pandemic, kind of in a weird silver lining, lost the gym, mm. and which did help us, I, I would say in some ways, like survive the pandemic mm. because we didn't have this huge overhead. Um, but it was really hard for the, for, I mean, any any community who's lost a gym knows the like grief that goes into losing a, a like community space. Um, so it was a, a big transition phase. Um, but I think it was really important for Park Revisions to rediscover its original voice and also build on it. Um, because I think the ori- original need for having a gym was because it was so hard when, you know, 15 years ago. Th- this is also our 15 year anniversary, which is cool. Happy birthday. <laughs> Park Revisions. Yeah. <laughs> um, so happy quinceanera maybe (laughs) yeah do a big celebration yeah so um back in the day 15 years ago nobody knew what parkour was and uh didn't you know it wasn't really like safe to take classes outside and you'd Mm. get kicked out of spots it was hard to build those relationships so i think the especially in america it's been really important for us to build safe spaces to train which is what gyms provide Mm. um it's like your personal clubhouse where you're never going to get kicked out from your training spot right Mm -hmm. and uh but when we did lose the gym you know um so so tyson was the first executive director um and then caitlin pentrella was the second executive director they hired caitlin actually right before they lost the gym it was completely unrelated they were like we need a new ed tyson's ready to step back after like a decade of doing that work (laughs) um and then Caitlin came in and did a lot of great visionary work around like what could PKV be in a way that really deep dives into being a nonprofit, um, more, uh, you know, like doing fundraising and doing grant writing, like that kind of stuff that you think about with nonprofits, um, and really leaning into like what does parkour still need in the world? And I think because there's been so many gyms that have been popping up, I think a gym is less needed in Seattle or in America period. I think what's needed is somebody to hold the torch for outdoor parkour, um, which is what we've really been looking at is like the direct benefits of outdoor parkour. Um, And 
how do we keep parkour accessible as well it was a large conversation if you look at like the history of parkour literally was like a bunch of like kids in a ghetto that started parkour and to see the way that gyms are uh building a paywall for people to learn parkour now um i think that's something as a community we need to be aware of and responsible for and also like a for-profit company has a limitation to how much they can do that you know mm-hmm. um and that's just the nature of the structure of a for-profit company plus you got a lot of overhead for running a you know in the big warehouse um so running these outdoor classes um focused on uh you know, folks that are marginalized from from fitness um, has become a big focus, you know, or, or has been a renewed focus, I think is, is more fair to say. Like Park Revisions has always done work with like uh, homeless youth. Um, we uh, recently, this last year, um, served 400 different kids in South Seattle, um, a lot of low-income neighborhoods. Um, you know, a big shout out to Lex Dye, who's our, was our program coordinator for that and is now our head coach. They did amazing work for that. Um, so that's that's a bit of you know and also while park revisions had a gym you know tyson and uh uh, colin mcdonald were doing a lot of work on getting how do we get more parkour parks and Mm -hmm. while uh, the city of seattle wasn't really biting they did they were able to design colin especially designed i think eight different parks in north america and uh and so has been it's been so much easier to come back to seattle parks and say well look at this portfolio of parks that we built you know or or designed anyways um in addition to like having this community behind us when uh building in showing that there's dedicated interest it's not just like i don't know a a team of 10 people being like i want a parkour park to train on Um, so that's parkour visions yeah uh for me so I uh, have been doing parkour for about 13 years, I want to say. And I started at Parkour Visions back when it was called the Pacific Northwest Parkour Association, which is a huge <laughs> mouthful. <laughs> the Panapua. I'm glad they shortened it. Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, so I was not an athletic person at all. I just was a like big video game nerd. And uh, actually, the, the why I found parkour was um, when I went to, so I went to Vancouver Film School up in Vancouver, Canada, and uh, happened to see a short film that um, Renee Scavington was in that somebody had filmed with him. (laughs) And that's where I first saw parkour, was like this short film at film school. Um, And that was like cool and sat in the back of my head. And then at the end of film school, um, developed an eating disorder and uh, basically like was like, I'm gonna do everything I can to be thin. And so I tried, I tried like karate and I tried a personal trainer and I happened to be back in Seattle and I Googled Seattle parkour classes and that's how I found um, parkour visions. Mm. So um, eventually like got through my eating disorder. Um, There's a lot we could talk about how having an eating disorder and the underlying thought of I'm not good enough comes up in uh, being an athlete as well and having to navigate Mm. that space too. Um, It almost became like, okay, I'm no longer bulimic but now I'm like unhealthily obsessive with being good at being an athlete. Mm. And that took a lot of years to um, dismantle. Sorry. Um, also like shout out to like Castery from uh, Esprit Concrete. They literally do therapy with parkour and work with parkour athletes there in the UK. Amazing organization that I worked with as well um, mm. to help break some of those habits. Um, 
but so yeah so that happened <laughs> so all that well, happened. there's like a, yeah. a transfer of unhealthy patterning into yeah. slightly healthier patterning and then totally. from there it feels like you can get the roots to transform it into healthy patterning yeah that's what I've, I've seen it experienced as i think totally yeah it's i just, don't know like not i didn't have an eating disorder but i had a drinking problem you could say mm -hmm. <laughs> and but anyhow yeah i mean I, and this is something we kind of chatted about was uh like there's this phase i think a lot of people in their early 20s at least in our generation of parkour use parkour as like this escape mm. you know and sometimes an escape from just living a, a comfortable life you know and living a no normal life or something and now we can play more freely you know <laughs> yeah oh yeah yeah we had a really um yeah fun conversation about just how every why is this still on oh that's why i'm hearing it through the headphones oh yeah do your thing sorry let's just let it be that okay um the the idea that i you know and i've talked about it i think a few times on this podcast but it's just like you know trying to escape like you said get it out of whatever it is that you're running from whatever trauma you might have experienced or 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 did it but just you just decided like you know the analogy i made which is often made is the never never land peter pan syndrome and trying to basically never have to actually grow up and become who you were maybe actually here to be but <laughs> you uh you know it's a scary thought i guess for a lot of young people growing up and and parkour gave a safe space to just kind of be anything you wanted including totally. <laughs> including um a kid forever if you if you can if you can swing it but then you realize or this is what i would mention to you is like ultimately if you there's there's like a lot of ways out of this rabbit hole but one of them was let's say you figure it out you actually you try to like do it and you're like wow i've kind of established this life for myself where i could, could be a kid you might actually realize at the end of that road that you're still not fulfilled because there's something underlying that um you realize you're running from and it's not actually making you happy to like just be a kid or or to escape life or escape your responsibilities but then you know there's also the <laughs> I don't know what we were talking about or what we had mentioned there, but it was like something to the degree of there's so much more on the other side of that though, essentially all, yeah. all, all that to say, just like when you do embrace it or, okay. So you can kind of complete the game is what we talked about. You win the game. Like you, cause you, you were a competitive you, athlete. You, you hit like, all the, uh, yeah. yeah. Like I was telling you how, when I was a younger practitioner, I would just love, that was like, well, that was, well, that was it for me. It was like going hard doing the coolest things I think I could do and trying to like just exponentially grow. <laughs> and then I hit a point where kind of simultaneously I had hit everything that I wanted to do. I'd been able, I'd kind of completed every check mark that I really wanted and it was still unfulfilling. And simultaneously I couldn't go any further without destroying my body or destroying um, my stability in life. And so then so even if you hit everything, you're going to hit the other, the other way out of the rabbit hole, which is like, you realize that there's not, um, a future maybe in the current path you're on. And this doesn't, this isn't specific to parkour. This is anything. If you attach your identity, I think to, totally, yeah. to trying to build yourself in a, in a way that's maybe again, it's healthier than where you were at maybe like 
parkour kind of got me off drugs and got me off of drinking because I'd take care of myself mm -hmm. to, to be a good athlete. But it still didn't like For get sure. to the root of the problem. So then you come to the point where you're like, okay, I'm ready to deal with the root of it. And it's a, it's a difficult thing, I think, for a lot of us. But also there's so much more on the other side of that where you're like, okay, now my life is a lot better. And I don't know why I was so worried about yeah, <laughs> growing totally. up and yeah. making, like you said, living a better life, living a comfortable life. Like, why was I so attached to this idea of grinding? And, and you see so many people who, like, you know, as we're now, like, what, I'm 33. How old are you? 34. 34. Just turned 34. Yeah. So us, us old, old parkour elders. <laughs> at Respect the your elders. <laughs> you know, like... Uh, we, I've seen people who have dedicated a decade of parkour and then they get out of it being like, okay, but I, I literally have no other life skills. How do I get a job? How do I, mm. you know, I don't want to live in a van for the rest of my life. I don't want to live in a, uh, a rental unit where we're renting a house with like six other athletes <laughs> and the kitchen's always dirty, you know, like, yeah. And I've, I've been there, I've done the van life, I've done the, you know, live in a parkour house kind of stuff. <laughs> That's the hard realization yeah. is like realizing you don't want that. Yeah. Like those are the deck marks. You're like, if I could just be with my friends all the time, I could just travel the world in a yeah. van and that's all I need. And then you do that and you're like, oh shit. Yeah. This, like this, kind of this actually sometimes. is not what I want. Yeah. yeah. I actually want the house or like the, you know. I, I want health insurance. Or, health insurance. Or, yeah. I want to feel safe. I want to, yeah, whatever. Sorry, totally. dude. Off, also to go on a tangent about health insurance uh speaking about like um parkour uh you know a big a big issue that we have in terms of liability right is like uh some of the reasons why people sue when they get injured on public property or private property is because health insurance is so you know such a mess in mm -hmm. our country um so like a great example of that is uh, uh you know if if somebody if somebody gets injured on parks property, they're they're going to sometimes just have to sue everyone, even if they don't feel like it's a personal you know want to. It's just like mm -hmm. I need to sue because I need this money because maybe my insurance isn't covering this or mm -hmm. you know. Um, so I think that is a, a larger thing that we need to do in in parkour is just be aware of our relationship to I don't know again like larger liability, but then also. Um, in another side, I have so many thoughts on this. I'm trying to like not whirlwind spew everything out of my brain. But uh, um, I think it's also important for us in the parkour community to think about things like health insurance um, and uh, injury prevention for our um, our coaches and our athletes. Um, also, I'm on the board of USPK, United States Parkour Association, the governing body for American parkour. And we've just built a partnership with uh, spot insurance so if you are a member of uspk which there's like a couple tiers as individuals like a pro and an individual mm -hmm. um it's like 50 bucks a year or 70 bucks a year you now every time you're doing parkour are are under the insurance that we've got what we've worked through spot as a stopgap because there's so many people in parkour who literally are like i tore my acl and i don't have insurance you know mm -hmm. like what happens right and that can be devastating for someone financially and if you don't have you know a career that isn't <laughs> athlete based like that's a lot that's a lot to deal with so you would know yeah firsthand, <laughs> i would think i mean shoot even having like a full-time job you know sustainable yeah. like you know i'm pretty lucky to have like a sustainable financial career in parkour and like have <laughs> benefits you know i just tore my acl last year and 
it still is like thousands of dollars that I'm having to pay out of pocket on top of health insurance um, because of wonderful American <laughs> health insurance issues. Um, so. Oh man. Yeah. It's, I mean, yeah, like everything's kind of interconnected, you know, these, yeah. these liability problems, these health insurance problems, they're connected. The whole property, like it's tied up in that because people are always out to make profit and like it's, it, and it's, it comes down to this money thing and the value structure of our culture in America, at least is yeah. money is king still here pretty much. Um, and I feel like we're moving towards something that's maybe more true to our, you know, our nature and we're actually kind of dissolving hope, yeah. that story and like it's actually not king you know it just feels that way or it's like that's how it looks on the outside and that's how people behave when they're sort of being unconscious but you know it's evident in the work that you're doing that we're trying to build a better world with more freedom and more play and more people feeling fulfilled in their lives and because you know i think again it ties into all the things mm -hmm. you know all this quiet quitting and like yeah, all the exactly. shit that talk that comes with millennials and stuff it's like yeah. it's like we're trying to figure out a way around like why did life should not have to suck this much yes you know like yeah. it just shouldn't we know this in our hearts you know and so we're trying to figure out solutions and um and it's not that it sucks you know for everyone obviously and and but it's it just is like we yeah. can feel it and that's like there's a lot of there's a lot of work to be done and there's, it's cool to see that you're doing so much to empower people with parkour and i'd love it if you tell us like a little bit more if you can kind of build a in the nutshell version or we can expand on it obviously but you know i can see and i feel like and it's again evident in what you're doing and the way you're applying your life that you really value parkour as uh something that everyone can benefit from totally. or that anyone can benefit from and can you tell us more about like your kind of thoughts on that and just why is parkour so valuable yeah. to the people I mean, I think besides the the obvious to us, but not obvious to the onlooker of like falling safety, which is mm. just huge. Like, honestly, if just everyone knew how to fall safely, like, I think that would be, even if we like failed at all the other ways that parkour can benefit people in the world <laughs> and just taught everybody falling safe, like some ukemi, you know, I mm -hmm. think one of the, uh, that question of how do we get seniors to not like, I mean, yes, people get old and break down, but I think that, you know, this is gonna sound weird but like there are other ways that people can die and like let's have our let's like outlive <laughs> you know have our bodies be safer and like help help that have a lifelong sort of healthy aging mm. i don't think that starts in teaching seniors how to fall i think that is a necessary thing that we do also need to do but like you need people to be not sedentary you know their whole entire life like mm. what would it look like if adults were were playing you know through their 60s like from 20s to 60s right like um, what would that look like if parents were not so stressed out? Like right now, parents uh, have a hard time being fit because it's like it's it's very separated. You have your kid life and then you have your little time left to do your own thing. Mm. And I think just being able to play do parkour in a park with your kid is a great bridge to have adults be safer um, mm. in terms just from the falling safety perspective. Right. Um, what would it look like if parkour was in schools? You know, like when I think about the phrase physical education, like PE, I don't think ball sports is like the answer to physical education. It's cool and does teach a lot of like life skills, like collaboration and blah, blah, blah. But like 
I think falling safety is like physical education. So mm-hmm. I think that's a huge missing as well. Um, I think the being, so that's like thing one, falling safety. Uh, thing two is I've discovered, I've had the privilege of being in a, a variety of conversations and in, in a variety of marginalized communities and getting to listen in on, you know, on these conversations. Um, and the thing that keeps landing true is the sense of belonging that happens in parkour because there is this relationship to space. I remember, shoot, I remember like in my parkour journey, I, I, I learned from like Dylan Baker, you know, and like I remember a private lesson with him (laughs) where like he was like the way that you stand on the sidewalk is like you don't belong here. (laughs) I was like, what? Like he's like, yeah, like if you're doing your run up, like at least like, you know, like kind of like this is your space. Like like it's okay to like have your space Mm. on in the sidewalk. Um, And that was like a life changing moment, you know, and and I see as like someone who um, was socialized as a woman growing up right like or as a as a as a girl like assigned female at birth um that uh, for for women there's a lot of like don't be in the way of people right that sort of shows up or like you take a second uh you are not as important as men is sort of like the underlying sometimes intentional sometimes unintentional message that you get from society so being allowed to take up space for women um is really important um there's very important race issues that we need that like i've seen parkour um be be impactful for like there's a long history of uh police presence in parks that if someone is not white especially if they're black they are like getting the cops called to them just because they're playing in a park right Mm -hmm. so like the power of being able to belong in a public space is huge um we could look at it from like a disability lens as well like where uh the disability like the disability sort of underlying message is like you don't belong here we're not even going to make space for you if we do it's like you know here's the main entrance to the building mm-hmm. and here's the like side build entrance that dis- disabled people can use um there's a lot uh to go in that I, that i think is really fascinating and horrifying about segregation of disabled people in our society um let alone that like the reality is everybody is going to be disabled at some point in their life whether it's just from old age or you or you were born with a disability or someone like me i spent three two to three months in a wheelchair because of my when i initially got injured in my acl um, from my acl tear uh, it like healed wrong and i couldn't walk and had to do a bunch of pt before my um, surgery so like yeah and it was just eye-opening to be in a wheelchair and be like oh literally there's like so few curbs in my neighborhood that i can even get off the curb to cross the street in Mm. Um, or there's just like even the tiniest grade of hill is just you know you have to be really like i've got a strong i've got upper body strength because i'm an (laughs) athlete and like even it was hard for me you know um so there's there's that perspective um i think it's also really important for men's health as well i think there's a lot of great conversation happening about women's issues in parkour and we're not talking enough about like men's health um and the inner intersections around that um so but yeah that underlying message is a sense of belonging and mm. our community for most people i would argue um is and i kind of waver because i know many folks who are marginalized within parkour as well is a very hot topic and it does happen um because we're not invisible to society's influence right as a community um 
but that is one of the larger benefits of parkour is not only belonging within a community that is intergenerational and intersectional, um, but also uh, a belonging in physical space as well and a relationship to space um, that I think is really, really important where like, because I do outdoor parkour almost entirely now because we have a, almost all of our classes are outdoors. I'm very aware of climate change. I'm very aware of like how many unhoused people are living in the Seattle area. Mm. And I think as a society, we need to have more exposure to these issues because it's harder to ignore them when they're like right in your face. So interesting. Yeah. Yeah. That last part, especially, I mean, it's interesting the way you, you, you made me think about it is just like embodiment. Like it's so powerful because it gets you empowered in your body. And yeah. like, that's a, that, that kind of, addresses a lot of big things and conditioning that happens that you can kind of reorient and decondition from mm -hmm. using parkour. And the other thing that jumped into my head when you were speaking was um, like a sense of dignity, you yeah. know, that is like yeah. not afforded to everyone that I think is uh, part of what's tying into this is like people, I don't know. How do, does that land for you? Like, totally what do you think does, about yeah. that? <laughs> I, I think it's dignity is a great word for it. Um, I, it also makes me think about like we kind of talked about like the uh, coping mechanisms that people have for like traumatic experiences in their life, whether it's an eating disorder or drugs and alcohol or a myriad of other things. Mm -hmm. You know, we do live in a very imperfect society. And I think it's important as we grow parkour to try our best to not duplicate harmful systems. And this is why I converse, I mean, like sports has always been political and the more that parkour grows beyond being like informal communities, you know, the reality is this is a, a, a political conversation, you know, um, like having uh, equal pay for, for women and men for prize money in competitions is huge and revolutionary. And like, I don't know, you look at uh, like the NBA and the WNBA, right? And they're not even trying to, if you, if you, the WNBA is not even trying to uh, advocate for equal pay. They're, a, they're advocating for an equal percentage of pay based off of the revenue. Mm. Um, and I think parkour right now, it's important for us to do equal pay for both divisions because it's setting the precedent of we're not going to grow so large that we become like the WNBA and the NBA where we're just like, it's too late to fix it. Mm. Um, I think that's the kind of like messaging that we want to create with our uh, our systems. You know, um, there's a lot that we could do. I think we're at a turning point for parkour of how accessible are we really going to be? Because y I mean, you hear this a lot of like, oh, parkour is for everybody, and like parkour is really inviting, and like, yes, I think a lot of people, most people, have that intention, but I don't think people are always aware of like the harmful impact that just like. I don't know, society as a whole can have on folks and we're replicating those things. Um, or maybe some people are aware of it and just don't care, but I optimistically think it's it's hopefully the, the first one that people are, you know, less aware of the issues um, that we can that we can create by replicating, you know, yeah, pay and structures, <laughs> and, you know. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's it's very interesting. I don't know how you know, life works completely or anything, yeah. like obviously, yeah. but, uh, who does, right? Who does, yeah. you know, but it's just interesting. Cause I mean, what I'm thinking about when you're talking is and what you're 
what I'm hearing is the we're kind of it, it could be on us and I, I think you're championing this responsibility taking and instilling and creating a culture that has these values that aren't the same as the old structures hmm. and it really instilling them and it's interesting to me that it's like well why what would carry that torch you know you, how are you going to seed new value structures without totally. at least a community around it and so it's just fascinating to me that parkour can maybe be a community that is like that and obviously there's probably dozens and hundreds even of other communities that are on a similar mission or or share some of those um just goals towards moving the value structure in a certain direction so that it is not how don't, how not repetitive of these like yeah. you know traumatic um structures and yeah i don't know there's uh, so much in that. <laughs> it's just like yeah it's just like it's such a massive concept yeah. and also it's it's just so cool i guess where i would take it you know one thing that i had a question about which i think would be cool to pull this apart mm. because again i like to sort of play my own devil's advocate at times and like where you know we talk about the phrase parkour is for everybody mm. we mentioned it a few times is parkour for everybody depends on the kind of parkour <laughs> yes yeah. okay so this is the kind of like the foundation of kind of what you're bringing i think is you want to make it for everybody is that correct or you yeah. just want to make it so for so every, like yeah. not forcing it on everybody obviously but totally making it accessible so that people don't feel excluded yeah and that is a huge huge thing i i will say that i think there's i mean obviously there's already sort of like different kinds of parkour that are emerging you mm. know like even if we're just talking about like the recreational practitioner versus like the competitive practitioner, you know, or like the extreme sports side, even if they don't do competitions, you know, like roof culture type stuff, like we can still draw parallels to other sports, like, I don't know, skateboarding or rock climbing of like, there's the recreational rock climber at a gym. And mm -hmm. then there's like, or even like the recreational outdoors person for rock climbing. And then there's like the like extreme death defying people. There's Alex Honnold. Yeah, and exactly. Like yeah. The, Adam Andra, who's like very different style of climber. I don't know how into climbing people are or you are. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. There's all these archetypes that are like very, very different now that totally. are kind of like fully expressing. And I, th I think it's more about like uh, if if we want to say parkour is for everyone, I think it's like what are the different kinds of parkour that are emerging and who's holding the torch for different kinds? Mm. Um, like and do these do any of them have conflict with each other, right? Like, as we've talked about, like, as we kind of started the mm. podcast about, like, you know, roof culture can negatively affect getting parkour parks in our cities. Uh, I'm not going to say it's like a one for one, like, that is the reason, you know, <laughs> like, there's obviously a lot more, but like, it's stuff that we want to be aware of, of these, where these, again, like, the word of the day, I think is intersect, you know, intersectionality, like, where do these things intersect? Um, so, you know, I, I see, again with outdoor parkour and the the benefits of being outdoors um you know and being in your city and being more related to your city and the more places in your city and like what a, all of our adult classes are free for instance and so we have for people who truly can't afford it great there's no barrier there and then for people who can't afford it oftentimes they end up becoming donors for the nonprofit. so it's kind of like a sliding scale model mm. um and like you get people across social economic barriers interacting with each other, which is again, an issue in our society. Um, but that kind of parkour 
there's so there's that i'll just say there's all of that and mm. then there's um so the recreational versus like extreme sport parkour um there's also intentionally being inviting to people who were historically marginalized sometimes does not feel inviting to people who already feel kind of like top dog in the community like a great example of that is um if anyone's been following over the past decade plus like the way that women's issues within parkour has evolved like i remember when i first started parkour there was like a couple women in our community and i was like lucky to be in a community that had a lot of women you know mm -hmm. like so you kind of get this early phase of uh, so I, I see this like spectrum of of how do you bring in a marginalized community or spectrum of community engagement type type thing and stage one is like sort of like a denial there's no problem we're just looking from like a women's issues thing mm -hmm. um and some folks are, are still in this stage of like it's not really our focus to try to get women in parkour or like i'm not misogynistic so it's not a problem or like just sometimes in denial or sometimes just not focusing on um women's issues mm -hmm. um then you get this next stage of when you start accept being more accepting, you get sort of like this like stage two is like this token stage where there's like the token girl. And usually the token girl is somewhat like of a tomboy, um, more has more like and maybe mental armor towards some like misogynistic things, like, mm -hmm. you know, just being like don't be a pussy and like, you know, that sort of languaging and and like while you know, just because you say don't be a pussy and don't be a bitch doesn't mean that you are like a deeply misogynistic person. <laughs> it is, yeah. it can be that that space is not welcoming for, for women, right? Because the underlying message is, you know, being a woman is weak. Mm. Um, so you get, you get these like very thick skinned sort of uh, stereotypically tomboy sort of token women um, that are in there. And then the next stage for there that, I, that I've seen is a stage where it's like, let's create dedicated spaces for these people. There's a want for like a women's only jam or a women's only um, class or something like that, right? And at that stage, I've definitely noticed pushback um, sometimes from men being like, well, where's the men's space, right? Um, you know, or why does this need, like a, just a lack of understanding mm -hmm. as to why there may, may need to be this like safe space. Um, and then sometimes also a pushback from some of the, like the, the women as well. Like uh, I was actually very anti uh, women's only spaces and like essentially gender segregation for a long time in competition, in, uh, in just jams as well, um, which also is like ironic to me now that I've come out as non-binary, but like mm -hmm. regardless, when I did actually go and attend those, I was like, oh, I understand why this exists mm -hmm. because hearing so many women like i remember going to my first ever like um the north american women's parkour gathering and being like i've never seen so many women in one place you know and uh and and some people there were like i've never trained with a, another woman period mm. so it was like a it was just mind-blowing for them um it was a great experience for them and then with competition as well um while i have complex feelings about gender in uh, in competition, um, I did feel a sense of belonging because there were challenges at my level, um, and we could. There's a whole rabbit hole that I'm, I, I hope we can have time to go down. Of we talking got time. about Yeah, we talking about gender and talking about you know. It's cold as nuts outside. <laughs> there's nothing to do out there. It's like six degrees it's or something bad, outside so in Denver. Uh, we got yeah. time. <laughs> um, so. Yeah, like at that stage, there are, you know, there's pushback for building this inclusion. And then the hope is, the assumption is that 
when you build this safe space, more people are going to join a co-ed space. Mm -hmm. And I think that is sometimes true. Like one thing that we need to also recognize is sometimes these committed communities, like it's okay for parkour, a women's parkour group to be your safe haven from the misogyny you experience in the rest of your life. And you don't really want to deal with misogyny in parkour too. Like that's okay. Some women will never join co-ed spaces. Mm. And I think that's a hard one for us to grapple because I think the default message, like idea of parkour is for everyone is like a coexisting location space for everyone. Mm. Um, and that's just not uh, the reality of life. <laughs> yeah. It's like, so. park I mean, for, let me see if I can mm -hmm. kind of catch on to that real quick. Are you kind of saying, Parkour's for everyone, but it doesn't mean everyone at the same time in the same place, totally. in the same yeah, yeah. rule set, in the same like culture. It's no, it's like parkour's for everyone in that we want to make it accessible for who, anyone and everyone to express it in whatever way makes them get the most value from it. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, yeah, so so like, and that's I do hope that you know we there is I would say a final stage for communities where the co-ed space does really start to show up when um, there is representation of uh, female leadership, mm. right? And like, and this is, you know, and like I've, I've attended talks at like Art of Retreat where like some of the actions look like, you know, a website is not just a bunch of pictures of like men doing big jumps, you know? Like <laughs> maybe you have women doing big jumps, but probably more accessibly you have men and women who are doing not big things as well. Like mm. you gotta market to the people who are gonna be inspired by it. Not everybody's inspired by big jumps is the, a hard a hard pill to swallow for some people <laughs> um, and by the way the people that are inspired by big jumps they don't need m they're gonna find the big jumps totally they're gonna find they're the big out jumps. there yeah. <laughs> you don't need yeah. to take care of those guys or gals or anybody like it's just totally easily i mean uh, yeah yeah exactly like it's <laughs> they're not the ones like there's often the most spearheaded folk that you know really they they i don't know and I'm here for big That's, jumps. Like yeah. I'm not even, you know, hey, like, but I think we I'm here also until my knees explode. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. As having one knee that has exploded. Um, <laughs> None of my um, anti big jumps. Yeah. Medium sized jumps as we get older. Um, but uh, yeah, like what's made park revisions like the Seattle community, I think have a lot of women's participation in co-ed spaces is there's like female coaches, you know, and mm -hmm. I've, I've seen other, other communities as well have been really great in doing this. Um, you know, where there's female coaches, there's female leadership running the business as well. Um, that helps break down some of those stereotypes. It's It can be really hard to bridge the gap from women's only spaces to uh, more more consistently co-ed spaces if it's all men making decisions is because it's just, there's just a lack of like lived experience, you know. Mm -hmm. um, there's a lot of well-intentioned men that I don't wanna even say is like, men can't make decisions about <laughs> women, but like you just always need to bring in the stakeholders who are actually affected by policies that are, you know, being made. Um, but I, I do see that sort of like spectrum of stages of like community involvement, I guess, um, as something that can be replicated in uh, a variety of ways, hopefully, so. I hope so too. Yeah. <laughs> um. All right, what's next? Yeah, I know. It's like that was a big <laughs> tangent. Where do we? Where do we wrap? Um, yeah, uh, I, mean, I get. Yeah, you go. Yeah, you I was got? gonna say you kind of like started um, opening that conversation on complex feelings for competition <laughs> and gender. Yeah, I don't know if you you said yeah. you maybe want to dive into that, but 
It's yeah. a big one. Do you want to still? Yeah, totally. I'm I'm all about it. Um, I've been doing uh, a lot of research on uh, uh, trans inclusion in competitions. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is reading a lot of scientific literature, reading policies of other sports. Um, I recently did a... Uh, a survey of um, many cis uh, and trans and non-binary uh, cis women and trans and non-binary people um, in the the parkour community, most of whom had participated in competitions mm-hmm. as well, to get a sense of like where does everyone feel about this. Um, so, as I'm also as I'm on the board of USPK, that's working on building a national competition. Um, also because USPK, like one of the things that USPK, um, again, there's so many tangents in my brain, but one of the things that USPK is tackling is how to, you know, unify uh, these, the various factions of, of parkour and um, especially in the competition realm of like, if we want to combat FIG, for instance, mm-hmm. and like USAG's, like USA Gymnastics um, involvement in parkour, which is becoming a very big threat to uh, parkour um in america especially as the next uh summer olympics is going to be in la you know like usag is is ramping up to try to get more um people um more parkour people in under their umbrella right how do they, how are they ramping up well one recent thing they, they just did um, a lot of gym owners recently got an email from one of the the higher ups at, at usag saying uh-huh. uh like tell us how many numbers of people like trying to do like market research essentially oh, yeah. <laughs> um how how many people do you have in your uh, gym how many people do you serve and it's like mm-hmm. do we really want to tell them that you know yeah. like um because what they're going to do with that is like they're trying to make so they're doing that they're trying to make um competition formats as well like we've seen like more on an international scale as well mm-hmm. um where fig is, has held a, comp- a couple competitions um and you know, while I, I do not personally fault um, competitors for going to that because I get it, it's hard to make money as a professional athlete in parkour, and that is one avenue. Um, I've heard a lot of uh, uh, discontent from people who have competed. Um, uh, I think it was a, uh, there was a magazine recently that put out like some anonymous interviews from people who competed in the most recent competition. Oh, and yeah. like the, the, the judging is just terrible, you know, like, uh, they have a category that's called, I think it's called like classic parkour. Oh my God. I heard it. Yeah. I mean, yes. I've seen it broken down. <laughs> yeah. But like, that's ridiculous. Literally classics. You get, like, classics. The classics is insane. Like and Kong just like balls. the way that they've done what they've done with off axis and what they've like, I mean, I don't know who comes up with this, but yeah. it seems like they have a completely un- different understanding than everyone I know in the community. Exactly. Has yeah. Of parkour. It's literally like they're just slapping on gymnastics onto parkour like mm. it's something like cl- i think classic movements are like jumps and rail precisions and like you know literally like parkour movements you know and i think vaulting. callum did some kind of interview i don't know with who yeah. damien puddle is that the name damien puddle yeah i haven't listened to it yet so maybe there's some insight there that yeah story recently put out the podcast um, or maybe if you've listened to it you can tell me but yeah uh, i would say i would say go ahead and listen, to, listen it. to it yeah because okay. <laughs> because damien puddle is also um he's he's from parkour earth and he's been really involved in, in all of this stuff um, yeah. on a on a larger scale internationally um but like these these uh, classic movements like a kong ball is like no points or like one point or something which is just a complete lack of understanding of the sport <laughs> you know like what um so 
there's there's and an understanding of because it's so big and bureaucratic they've given responses of like it's going to take four years to make changes so is that what we want to see in olympics in the olympics i don't think so um so we do need to kind of figure out where that's going to go um real quick uh and uh, one of the ways that we can show power is by saying we're all unified and like, no, go to the governing body over here. You know, like, I'm not going to talk to you. You need to talk to our governing body. Like, we us creating a, a barrier there. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's that whole thing, which is a, could be its own podcast episode entirely. Uh, and I'm honestly not even the expert for it. Um, I mean, we did have Adam on, Cozy. Yeah, yeah, Cozy's he, great. Yeah. That, if you haven't listened to that episode, that would probably be a good place to start as well. Yeah. For, another place to jump off he's to. another he's another board member probably the yeah. board member who's most knowledgeable yeah. of that um and he talks about the same thing yeah so so there's that um what i've been doing is i've had my finger on the pulse for uh trans inclusion um within parkour competitions um and we're already to a, a bumpy start given that uh you know a, a couple years ago there was a trans woman who was trying to compete this is like before the pandemic was trying to mm-hmm. compete at uh an SBL qualifier um she she like podiumed so she was able I don't think she even got first place but like she podiumed and um was then later told that she was not allowed to compete um and then also on top of that uh most recently there was another trans woman from the UK uh who was uh had reached out to Renee and actually asked can I compete um at this at the most recent SPL and was also um barred from competition purely from uh because of being a trans woman so there's a lot there um as i i <laughs> <laughs> yeah i i from what i have read from from folks it's it is a like a fear of doing the wrong thing um i think there's also a uh uh sort of underlying like i don't know oh I think there's sort of a protectiveness or saviorism that kind of goes into it as well. Um, I don't want to speak like specifically for anybody, but I, I do see that pattern of like, mm. I need to do the right thing um, and protect the women. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, Me- yeah. That's what I was wondering. Like, meaning like protect them from these terrible trans women that trans are trying to come in. That's going to come in and, and dominate the, yeah. the competition. So uh, that's sort of where we've been, at least in uh, North America um, versus in the UK, there have been uh, uh, trans women competing. Um, they are not like winning all competitions, you know, in the women's division, like they are, they're just competing. Um, so I, I, I guess I'll first say I am of the opinion that we need to actually give pe- trans people the opportunity to compete before we actually make decision, blanket decisions. Mm. Um, you know like it's we don't have data and if you look at like from the scientific uh literature the scientific literature uh, i will say yes the scientific literature does say that there is an advantage that trans women have specifically mostly in bone density and muscle density um especially for uh trans women who uh transitioned after puberty right Mm -hmm. um so i don't think the argument has ever been that there is not a advantage the argument for why there should be inclusion is it's just one advantage. Like competition is innately an unfair thing, first of all. Um, if you look at elite athletics, you are seeing, uh, for lack of a better term, genetic freaks raising to, rising to the top, you know, of like 
specialized to their sport. You're going to see long, tall people in like, I don't know, basketball and swimming. You're going to see short people in like uh, weightlifting, right? Like in gymnastics. In gymnastics. Yeah, exactly. And like there's there's specific body types that are showing up, mm-hmm. um, let alone the. So that's like one advantage is like we're not talking about the advantage of height um, as well for for our sport. Um, we're not talking about uh the advantage of like various social economic upbringings as well. Like, did you grow up learning parkour in a gym where you had more access to, uh, you know, like training every single day with mats, you know, is Mm -hmm. even just training outdoors versus indoors is going to give you different results in terms of advantage or disadvantage um, in a variety of different nuanced ways. Right. Cause I think, yeah, I mean, there's, did you, I think you already mentioned, you mean location, but also resource. Yeah, like exactly. Like just if you come from a family that's going to be able to afford you to either go, afford yeah. you to take classes or support you in driving you to practices and back and forth. Like there's all manner of things that come into. Totally. I mean, you see like, I mean, even more broadly, like Simone Biles, you know, in gymnastics, her family owned a gym. So like at that level, gymnastics gym, right? So like, yeah. shout out Ellie. What is his name? Ellis Torhall. Yeah. Is that the kid whose parents own a gym? Yeah. Right. Like so. Like, <laughs> which is which is cool. I mean, like, yeah. Again, it's like, well. Yeah. Well, it's, there you go. It's There's gonna a happen. kid with a freaking gym behind yeah. him for sure. Like that's I mean, that's an advantage. Not to take anything away from him, he's obviously totally. a freaking monster and very dedicated exactly. that's where, you know. and, and this is the whole thing is like i'm not trying to be like those people shouldn't be allowed to compete because they <laughs> grew up in a gym it's like it's just we need to acknowledge that sports uh competition are innately unfair um you know we are i actually thought it was very interesting i don't know if you noticed this at the most recent spl there was definitely some body types that were starting to show up within like who is the the most common body type within speed competitions that are winning? The most common body type between skill competitions, I think, especially was a different body type. You know, like you're getting these like beefy Spartans that are like winning the the skill competitions <laughs> at this point. You know, and then like much more leaner, wiry folks um, in speed. So, and that would make some sense. Yeah, and it makes I mean, sense. It's not bad. Yeah, it's interesting it's just, because we don't it. know like the body type, the ultimate yeah you know archetype for body in in our sports because like you said we don't necessarily have the data in yet totally yeah so it's like so i think that's a really big factor um that you know and like shoot even adjacent sports to to parkour like people who've been doing flips their whole life are going to be better at you know if they whether it's gymnastics or other disciplines or just before they found parkour right Mm. are going to have an advantage to you know freestyle and so I think there's just so many more factors, um, let alone that like, yes, bone density and muscle density is one factor, uh, one advantage, but we know that just becomes su- because some bulky dude comes into the gym doesn't mean he's good at parkour. The number of like, I, I don't know mm-hmm. if you like have uh, as a coach back in the day, like ever coached like a CrossFit guy that wanted to come into the gym, like some of the strongest I've, people. I've coached some some thick boys out yeah there girls. i mean yeah <laughs> totally like, like yeah there's a certain amount if you look like schwarzenegger you're not the actual you're metrics not gonna, aren't going to be good yeah. for you for doing parkour per se exactly you can lift weights but that's totally. a different and game. even crossfit which is like a very like functional sport like <laughs> oh, does yeah. not tra- translate to parkour at all so i think well, it, yeah. at all i don't know if that's well but but no, <laughs> it's one but advantage it's yeah one one, using yeah, careful languaging yeah. there yeah <laughs> i know what you mean yeah 
Um, so I think if we are more interested in people not having advantages, we need to get curious on what ways do we already create advantages in the sport and what ways can we help um, help even the playing field, even though knowing, again, competition is innately exclusive because it's all about there's a winner and a loser. Yeah. So it's like, what are we consciously choosing um, to celebrate, right? Mm-hmm. And like, yes, there's an amazing spectacle about who did the biggest jump, you know, who did the like most complex flip, you know, like, and I, I'm, I'm here for that, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but like, I think it could be as simple as, you know, in a speed competition, uh, having opportunities for people who are tall and short or a variety of different, you know, like, and I would have loved height classes they got weight classes they got weight classes in in mma and fighting and boxing there's options not that i'm saying i uh you know i don't know know that that would even be the right thing and obviously the divisions are already pretty lean across the board in parkour so it's not like we can create new divisions everywhere and expect it to actually be because then then something comes into play where it's like okay well now so there's a few different like okay there's a few different arguments against this that I think we are worth addressing just to like, yeah, do it. Explore. Let's go. So one which just came up was just the financial. Um, and you're not really talking about making new divisions. So this yeah, doesn't no, really apply here, I, but, but I do like, I, I think it's worth noting that like, that's the kind of freedom to brainstorm. I think mm-hmm. we need, if we truly care about trans participation, mm. um, because, Again, it's like we're probably not going to find like the solution right now, but yeah. like having freedom to look at. And this is also why I really am like anti Olympics and anti gymnastics in parkour is because it, it's pushing us to um, have to solidify our sport before we're ready, mm. you know, um, to fully say this is what our competition looks like. You know, yeah. it's kind of um, short sighted in that way. It's yeah. Like, cool. We can do this quick cash grab now. And like everyone exactly. that's in the generation that is where it pops in the, in the Olympics gets to benefit, but then potentially everyone afterwards suffers yep. the choices that we made there. Um, but yeah, there's a whole, I mean, and I don't even know if this is what everyone wants. So I guess actually the, let's go start there. That might be even the most fundamental and, you know, the most common critique I would say I've heard for people is like, there's this big fear, like you're saying the savior comes in. The fear is that, well, if we let it play out, then the trans women will be dominating the division of women. And then now that's undermining women's space because they don't necessarily identify with the trans athletes. And so now it's maybe discouraging, you know, I don't know. So then, so I don't know, like, I don't know where your heads are on that. And like, also what, you know, I'm not any of these categories right now that like are marginalized. And so, it's hard for me to talk about any of the experiences of of any of the people that are should be really involved in that conversation, um, but that's what I've heard, in, you know, from people that are even maybe having to make the decisions about these things, and also, uh, you know, I know that even some women feel this way, you know, it probably within parkour that this is like where yeah. they're at with it. Yeah. So there, so there's a lot. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, um, please enlighten. You know. I, <laughs> totally. <laughs> Yeah. Um, one, I mean, one thing is, I'm just like thinking where do I, where do I want to go first? Um, one thing is that I, I've spent uh, the past, I don't know, six, nine months, uh, interviewing, um, a bunch of different, I think I interviewed, uh, a little over 70 cis women mm-hmm. and then about, uh, I think it was 12, um, 
trans and non-binary people in parkour um and i messaged probably about 30 more um to actually because i was like i just wanted to lay the land first of all like where mm -hmm. do, where does the community feel um and you know uh, first of all so like most of those people that i interviewed um were assigned female at birth you know including mm -hmm. the like non-binary folks and even some there were some trans men that i that i interviewed as well mm -hmm. um and so I think there was like six trans women, you know, six people, uh, trans women, non-binary people so that were assigned as male as birth at birth. Um, so that's like, uh, first of all, the lay of the land that that I received was that the majority of people, uh, I think it was about 60 percent um, of that of the people I surveyed said that what they care most about is inclusion within parkour mm -hmm. and they think they sh and they think trans women and trans people in general should just be able to choose their uh their um gender mm -hmm. uh within the sport as well um there was another uh about 30 percent um that was not just cis women but like again across the board 30 percent of the people that wanted some sort of uh some sort of restriction whether that was a hormonal restriction whether that was like an open division there was not much agreement uh mm. for what that looked like right so so it's really hard to say this is the thing but there was like i feel some tension i want some sort of barrier there mm -hmm. and then there was another 10 percent that was like never trans women should never compete with cis women mm -hmm. you know like this is not acceptable um so i think that's important to recognize um for for people who are looking to be allies for cis women is to actually make sure you are r representing people <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know? like, yeah exactly are you actually <laughs> amplifying the minority voice thinking yeah. that it's the majority voice exactly if you're trying to amplify a voice and it's not even your own or if you're trying to do like what's best on behalf is what you're saying yeah of of what people want well from the studies you've done and what people want is just to include everybody exactly and like it's so let's yeah. aim towards and, that and i do see that there's actually you know the because the the women's community in parkour over the past decade and a half or at least that i've seen has been so much more focused on inclusion and you know even look at the way that like many women approach competition of like i'm scared to but i want to do that so there's representation mm. you know i think that um i i can't speak for everyone but i think that is a very important thing for the women's community is that there's just more women cis or trans there's just more women mm. um so i think that's 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 thing one the other thing is I think we need to be aware of where uh, the assumptions that we make about biological sex affect this. And the reality is that most people have an understanding of biological sex that ended in like the third grade or something, you know, like, <laughs> <laughs> like you learned about chromosomes. Cool. You know, whatever. Maybe You're that's like, like which one grade, am I? I got a Y, right? Yeah. Think. But here's, but here's the thing <laughs> with, knows, yeah. with that is like, there is also talking about marginalized communities. Um, you know, intersex people are, uh, are made invisible in our society. Hmm. You know, like one way the intersex shows up is like, you know, the baby comes out of, the mother and it's got external you know genitalia of like the other sex right and so they oftentimes without consent um you know of the kid or without sometimes even without consent of the parent well i'm sure there's consent of the parents but like it's kind of like it's just like totally understood they're like oh you this looks like mostly a girl so let's make sure it's a girl you know mm -hmm. so there's a there are people in the intersex community starting to speak up and go I didn't want that. I would much rather just be intersex and be allowed to be intersex than being forced to be assigned a, a, this gender. Um, so 
but the other thing is that intersex doesn't only show up as external traits, it also shows up as internal traits. There are many people who, uh, in the intersex community who are like, I didn't learn until my 30s because I was like having some sort of, I don't know, hormonal issue or like I got a scan oh. and turns out I have like internal organs that are different to my assigned gender. So this is a minority. I think I, I heard the statistic that like intersex is, is as as prevalent as like being a redhead is in our society so yes it's a minority but it does affect athletes um in that there have been recent cases mostly in the olympics um where because of these new rules about uh uh gender that are coming out to you know protect cis women it's actually show it's actually we're discovering more about um the different ways that like like there was a athlete in um south africa uh i think it was south africa but but it might have been madagascar but somewhere in 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 africa um where she had to go through hormone testing because she's competing in like the olympics turns out her uh testosterone levels are higher than every single woman she was not allowed to participate in the women's division unless she took hormone blockers it's like like that's that's now they gotta like sandbag somebody because it's like yeah, they made some crazy totally. yeah, some just line in the sand but human beings are much more complex than exactly than you can legislate towards exactly and like and we look at testosterone levels as well you know it's if you if you look at yeah there's there's a lot more complexity to testosterone than just the stereotype that testosterone is a man's hormone like yeah both both sexes well, and have hor yeah well, go ahead. sorry i don't want to interrupt but mm -hmm. i no, too late <laughs> yeah <laughs> my bad <laughs> no please do but we were talking about osho earlier and this quote jumped on my mind and mm -hmm. like i love this quote from him and it's just like it's not a quote it's a summation i don't know what he said exactly <laughs> yeah, yeah but he talks about and this is just everyone is half man half woman at least you know, you know, they were like, basically, he's just talking about you came from your mom and you came from your dad. And I mean, depending on how they, they identify and there's different like, but basically you're getting. There's no such thing as like somebody who's not also a man is also a woman. A woman's also yeah. a man is what basically he's saying. Yeah. Like and every I mean, man is also a woman exactly. and every man woman is also a man. Like and there's. Anyhow, yeah, yeah, yeah no, it? I'm picking up what you're putting down. I mean, like there's. I mean, you can look more broadly at like, I can't remember the exacts of this, but humans compared to other species in terms of like biological differences, I, we have a very small, I don't, I'm not like a scientist on this level, but like we have a very small difference between our, our the biological sexes compared to like, I don't know, like a peacock or like other species that are oh, like yeah. very, very different, right? Um, <laughs> so there's looking at that. There's also like going back to like that fun old, fun old issue of colonization of how um, there's a lot of, like uh, uh, our dominant sort of Western culture did a lot to marginalize um, other gender identity or like invisibilize is probably the word, like make invisible the other gender identities. You know, mm -hmm. there's many indigenous cultures that have, um, that have uh, an understanding of gender beyond just two genders. Um, and so like, you know, there's even, if you look at, um, there's a great book uh, called Women, Race, and Class by Angela Davis that talks about the, uh, the way that black women were pushed out from um, the, like the phase when, when women were trying to get the right to vote in America. Mm -hmm. And it became this, it became a big conflict of like, oh, but do black yeah. women get the right to vote too? Like, and then some, so there's, there's and a lot of this has to do with like uh back in slavery days slaves were not 
perceived as a gender essentially it was like your property and you get these big buff black women essentially because they were working the fields you know and uh, a way that white women separated themselves from black women was mm -hmm. by being fair and dainty and like not having muscle mass so there's a uh, a strong, strong, long history in our in our society, in Western society, that women e that being female equals weak, right, and motherly. So, or being a woman, anyways, right. Um, so, there's just a lot. There's a lot there that we need. So, if like mm -hmm. if you are trying to again, if like if a man is trying to be an ally in this fight, I think they need to be aware of are there is there an underlying misogyny that women are innately weaker, and that's why they need to be protected. So, like, I, I also think of um, with World Chase Tag as well, um, and I was really involved with uh, the conversations of getting the first women's division for World Chase Tag. Um, uh, that one of the initial conversations, we had a women's only meetup, and one of the conversations was like, some, there there was one woman who, who I don't want to name names, but but she brought up that, like, she tried to compete in it, and some guys were like, you're not fast enough. And this was somebody who was like really, really fast in, in, in like speed competitions. Um, mm -hmm. And so there's just like, and while there was never a um, women can't compete in world chase tag, there actually, there were a couple women that did compete before there was a women's division. I think it's like important for us to look at, you know, are we sometimes creating these divisions just because it's like the thing to do or like could co-ed spaces be more, um, like maybe we should go back, back to more co-ed spaces. But if we do want to do more co-ed competition, we need we need more diverse uh, competition formats as well, right? That are not going to like yes, there is some there is advantage for you know like yes, most men jump further than women. Um, that's not like a question, right? And like yes, there are. But like I've talked to so many men in parkour who are like I'm afraid to compete. I would love to, the the privilege of being able to compete, but like, I can't qualify for the men's division. Mm -hmm. So it's, again, what what is, what do we want to do with competition? I think is a really larger question as we're trying to figure out, you know, what's the right format for us. Yeah, like you said, there's a lot there. There's a lot there's there. There's just so yeah. much there. I mean, yeah, it's, man. I will say, uh, just going back to like trans inclusion, um, the IOC uh, literally like yesterday, I just, I don't know if they, they put it, like literally as of this week, the IOC, the um, International Olympic Committee, mm -hmm. um, just put out a new trans inclusion policy. And it does specifically say you cannot exclude someone specifically just for their gender, um, for their, for the gender they're trying to compete in. They do need to compete in the gender that they, that they live in. So mm -hmm. like somebody who's a cis man can't be like, I'm gonna be a woman for tomorrow's competition. <laughs> like that's, you know. So no, it yeah. doesn't need to be like your lived gender. Um, and uh, you, it needs to be sports specific. So it's no longer a blanket. It was a, for the Olympics, it was like a blanket, uh, like levels of testosterone in order to compete in the women's division. They were doing all this testing, right? Um, so now it's, they are leaving it up to the sports governing bodies to choose. Because like, again, uh, we're also discovering that um, women actually have a, uh, uh, biological women have an advantage um, in, um, in endurance over men. And so it's not, it's not a blanket for all sports now. Yeah. Um, and so it, it's sport specific um and the guidelines are it cannot be a blanket like you know 
you can't participate because of your gender, which goes back to a human rights issue. If we look at um, uh, Title IX, which was a, um, a policy that was passed in America back in, uh, it, was, it was the 15th anniversary most recently, um, and Title IX was around, you know, like, there's a stereotype of running competitions where, like, way back in the day, there was, like, women can't possibly do marathons. It'll hurt their uteruses, kind of, like. <laughs> I didn't know that that went <laughs> that, that ridiculous, so, but I'm not surprised that it was that ridiculous. So, so, again, sports have always always been political, and for the longest time, running did a lot of, running has a strong history of, like, women's inclusion and the fight that women did to, like, participate in 4Ks and marathons and, you know, like, all that. Um the history of the sports bra is connected to the history of running, like fascinating stuff like that, um, which is also ironic because running is like an extremely perceived as co-ed sport nowadays, right? Um, so I think we can take a lot from running. Um, but uh, I've just lost my train of thought because I've gone on too many tangents. Um, oh, no, you're good. <laughs> where did I come from? I don't know. You were talking about <laughs> Title IX and how Oh, yeah, so like human rights. Um, mm. We need to be recognizing that like to just say that someone cannot compete because of a because they're trans is discrimination because what so sure you could maybe make the art like i get that maybe you want to make the argument for um like we could go down the testosterone or like uh you know rabbit hole with that there are complications with that like but then again is someone who is in their 40s and just came out as a trans woman mm -hmm. and was not athletic before can she not compete because she's trans that makes no sense well and like where your point i think what you were pointing to earlier at least a little bit was where are we at now like yeah there's a whole idealized version of it maybe we can hash these things out tease everything out and maybe we'll find some things that surprise us or or whatever yeah. but right now everyone just wants to be included and it's not a big deal. And at least until it's a problem, let's see what happens. Totally. Because it's not even a thing until we let it be. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, I think that's that's really well said. Because um, it is, I think it it's comes back to like, so Title IX does, is all about that people cannot be excluded by, by gender, right? Mm -hmm. um, and it happened because of like women in running, for instance. Um, and so I, I, it is a, a human rights issue at this point of like human beings deserve to participate in sports. Um, and it is, it is, again, you cannot be excluded based off of gender it, from this Title IX policy in America specifically. Um, so I think we need to be aware of, again, where are we unintentionally as a parkour community unintentionally creating exclusion. Um, and I think my last point as well is that like, I don't know if as a parkour community, we want to have highly regulated testing to participate. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like we don't do drug testing in competitions. Like I think half the people probably couldn't compete if we did drug testing <laughs> in parkour, right? So why is it fair that we're now needing to prove that trans people need to like prove their documentation that they've been on hormones for so long or their hormone levels are this mm -hmm. or whatnot, right? Like, and if we want to be fair, we need to test everyone. So. Are we gonna just make the trans people prove that they're that they're passing enough with their hormones? Mm. Like that's no. You would need to then test all the cis people too, which then we're gonna discover that some people may have hor higher hormone levels, or some people maybe are intersex without them discovering. That's a whole mess right there that I don't think we are hopefully interested in. Hopefully not interested in, <laughs> right? Um, 
and I'm not interested in doing any of that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, the other thing too is like, not everybody looks trans. There's this whole assumption that like everyone knows what a trans person looks like. I'm sure there are many people out there who didn't know that someone is trans, and I think that's that's important to let people not have to out themselves because it's not always safe in society to be mm -hmm. out as a trans person um especially for uh you know a variety of places in america right now so we need to let people be private with it if they want to um and participate and you know like i've said the people who are the the trans folks who are competing uh internationally are not like winning across the board you know we if competition I'll wrap up by saying if competition organizers um, want to create a, a more fair playing uh, playing field, they need to, you know, create more uh, diverse challenges, you know, like more in skill, maybe it's more mental or technical challenges in addition to big jumps, right? That's, you know, already makes it like a more even playing field. In speed, maybe that looks like having some like small hole, you know, small like holes to climb, climb through kind of stuff or whatever, you know, smaller <laughs> spaces versus like always having to take the high route. Um, okay. So here's, yeah, here's where things get complicated again. Yeah. Not that like I'm, but you just mean, cause you're not some something. Joe Schmo in competition. You've done a lot in competition. I'm a Joe yeah. Schmo. <laughs> I just caught the right time where no one knew until it was all over. Um, but so reflective of the sport is where I wanted to go because mm. competition needs to also reflect the sport if it's to mean anything and totally. not to say that like, Oh yes, I know where you're <laughs> going with this. Yeah. And not to say that there's not small holes. I mean, Tom, our, our friend, Tom Coppola does some serious <laughs> small, All the hole small holes. work. <laughs> like he, <laughs> the, the, my, that's our boy. He's out there doing the work in, in that department. And we've seen, you know, another, we've seen some cool stuff, but all that to say where competition starts to reflect the sport and making it fair, and it's gets it's becomes a catch twenty two because totally, what's influencing yeah. what is reflected in the sport and it kind of brings it back full circle to where we started is these extreme things these out of like your mind yeah. kind of like in you know activities or massive jumps or huge just all of it extreme 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 is what people kind of feel like is the culture and there's tension there yeah because again that's the spectacle mm. so this is. This is our, I think, our like values check in as a sport, as a parkour community trying to build competitions is like, how can we, we know we want competitions to reflect the sport. Okay, what is the sport? Because there's already different kinds of parkour that are not um, reflected in competition. Like you're never going to see like a whole bunch of rail flow, for instance, in a, mm -hmm. in a freestyle competition, right? Um, and a lot of, a lot of women really gravitate towards like a rail flow sort of style. Um, so, but that's definitely free running. I would not call rail flow, uh, a part, you know, if we're trying to do like the parkour versus free running mm -hmm. BS, you know, like, <laughs> like, well, no, it's interesting, but you yeah. made me think, I'm like, okay, what was that? What would that be like in a different sport that more everyone can understand? Mm. Like if, you know, the world cup just happened, there's like competitions where people do just like dribbling work and they're just like yeah, bouncing totally. on their forehead and bouncing on their shoulders and doing anything you know, to showcase how well they have ball control, but they're not trying to score goals. Exactly. And it's like, so I, I guess, what are your thoughts on that? Because obviously the world cup, what everyone's going to watch where the most money is, where the most eyeballs are, yeah. are these, you know, epic games between nations and whatever, yeah. but the well said, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. but then there's, 
there's this whole other there's whole other explorations of it and is it enough for for is it going to be enough for someone to have like well this is my dribbling competition or this is like or do they want the, do they want the whole the world cup to reflect the some of the skills that they can do essentially yeah you know what I, I mean this is i think this again this is why we like need more time to hmm. explore and develop you know like there were some online competitions i think this last over the pandemic that was like i think there was like a team uh, a, a team competition where people were doing like rail flow together um pretty parkour did a really cool like flow competition online as well um so like I don't think we need to necessarily like choose this is the right one, mm. but I think there is a encouragement for more people to experiment with competition formats um, uh, mm. and just play with it, right? Um, I think that's one thing is like more people should make up wacky competitions. More competitions, more, competitions, more wackiness. Yeah. Or it, yeah. just not even, does not be wacky, just can be different, can totally, be new, yeah. can be refreshing. Exactly, I think, I think, you know, World Chase Tag came out of a wacky competition, true, you know, true, like, true. And, it, and parkour athletes love it. Um, so, so more competition. I think the value of competition is that it does push people to get better and it gives people like, you know, goalposts as like, this is how, this is where I'm going to work to mm. achieve to as someone who is like never won a competition except for if there were no other women there, mm. like, you know, like I still love competition because I love um, getting to, like push myself and challenge and there's there's something magical about the support that you get when you are on the floor as a as a competitor and i want more people to experience that at the end of the day mm. i think that's uh, a really cool thing that we should share with people um but there is that like innate conflict because where the money is at is the spectacle so i don't think it is a black and white thing of like no spectacles allowed in parkour <laughs> <laughs> right but we do i think there's just keeping a balance of that and again balance is not like a line we all know from practicing balance but balancing is wobbly mm. so i think it's very okay for us to keep experimenting and finding that balance in some years we're like oh that was way too spectacle and people didn't really feel like that represented the sport and some years that wasn't spectacle enough and nobody watched it mm. um so we got to keep, you know, kind of dancing back and forth with the with the balance of that. Yeah. I love that. Yeah, I love where you landed with that. That's yeah. perfect, I think. You know, that's, yeah, it's active. It's a balancing. It's a movement that you have to, it's just like parkour. You can't just, like, hold a position and you're and not, then you you're no longer doing parkour. And then you perfectly balanced on the rail. Yeah. yeah like, <laughs> I made we're it. Good I it. It's yeah. like, all right, well, you're going to fall over yeah. if, at that point. Um, really cool. Yeah. I think we could wrap it up there. I don't I know how you're feeling. Yeah. You feeling good? Anything I mean, else you want to talk about? <laughs> I think we hit all of it. That's probably <laughs> enough. All right. <laughs> we'll see how this where one. are we at. Yeah. That's good. We were about an hour and 40 in here. So yeah, that's probably Thanks for much. being on the <laughs> program. Um, and then we'll, we'll have more fun now that this is done. Thanks. See you guys later. <laughs>